You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Welcome to Sound of Sanity. My name is Nathan. I am your humble and obedient host, and I feel exactly what Ben and Jake are going through right now. I feel such empathy for them. They're waiting to be introduced. They want the awkward part of the podcast to get over. They want the conversation to just start. They don't know how long it's going to take for this nonsense to continue. I feel nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. Because I'm Batman. <laughs> I forgot. Ben's Batman. <laughs> that was a mistake. All right, Ben, you're, you, you're a sociopath with no empathy. <laughs> but Super Batman justice. Yeah, you, you saw your oh, mom die and uh, the pearls went flying through the air. In slow motion. In slow motion. In several different films. That's right. Ben, why don't you introduce the man, the myth, and the legend Sure. This is Pastor Jake Menzel, everyone. He's master of empathy, actually. Oh, yeah, buddy. Oh, yeah, buddy. And today's topic is empathy, folks. We are going to talk about empathy. Let me explain where this conversation comes from. Starting now. Okay, guys. So the articles that this is based on might be a little bit old by the time that this episode hits, but the concepts are evergreen. Here's my question. So all these articles came out saying, Finally, we have a president with empathy. We have Joe Biden, and he has empathy. And then I was listening to, because uh, sometimes I like to listen to Scott Adams, the Dilbert guy. He does a podcast, and he's like a free thinker, and he has all these thoughts, and they're free, and it's kind of interesting sometimes. But he said, never would we want his his big like free thought hot take on all this is why why would you want a leader with empathy actually a leader has to make hard decisions make hard decisions empathy gets in the way of rational judgments what scott adams mm-hmm. scott adams he can be interesting sometimes in the way that he likes to split the difference and stand above it all so he said well i would never make a good leader obviously i would never make a good leader because i have empathy and so i i don't want to hurt someone i don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to say you win and you lose. And so I could never be a leader. But insofar as we are looking for a leader, we actually, what you actually want is a sociopath. You want someone who actually what he said was actually they've proven that even sociopaths have empathy. So I don't know. Oh, Scott Adams with his free thoughts. Anyway, this is, we're not here to, we're not here to litigate Scott Adams, but I do want to litigate the concept of empathy, especially as it relates to leadership. So my question is, what do you guys think about that? (laughs) (laughs) Depends on what you mean by empathy. I feel like I know two different definitions. And one is like, actually a colder, more rational thing, which means understanding and being able to imagine what another person feels. And the other is feeling what the other person feels. You just absorb their emotions and reflect them back. And those are actually kind of different. How how does it bear either way on the Question. What you're saying is under, understanding what you feel is a good thing for a leader. Yep. Feeling what you feel is a bad thing. That's well, not necessarily Ben's position, but that's the thing that you're throwing out there onto the table right that's, now. That's right. And I, because if, if you think that a leader has to feel what everyone else feels, and that's his job to be a good leader, that actually does cripple him. He has to know the right thing to feel 
but he has to understand what other people feel. I don't know if the DAA was going to go off right now, Ben. I would quote some Bible verses about how it's very important that our Savior felt what we feel. Yep, that's right. And it's very important for us as Christians to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. I think this is a weird false dichotomy kind of thing. I think the idea that you understand what people feel and feel it on their behalf somehow necessarily gets in the way of leadership. That's a that's a false dichotomy. I didn't I think say part it necessarily of, got in the way. Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm not saying that you said that. I'm saying that Scott Adams says that, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea that you either have to be hardened and calloused to make hard decisions, or you will necessarily make bad decisions because you feel for other people. Right. It just doesn't have to work that way. I think that's silly and wooden and small-minded. There's a story about Winston Churchill, and I, I don't know how empathetic Winston Churchill really was, but he made a decision on at least one occasion, I think, to allow certain cities, England, to be bombed because they had, de- they had decoded the German codes. Mm-hmm. And they were being very careful and strategic in how they used information they they decoded. And they were afraid that if they responded to absolutely everything, They'd give away the fact that yes. they had decoded. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen this dilemma in a movie before. If we yeah. alert your brother to the position, then the Germans will know, and and then they'll he change, needs to die. They'll change all the codes, and then more people will die, yeah. and we'll lose our strategic advantage. Right. And so you've got to sit still mm-hmm. while you know a city gets bombed or by whatever happens. And then you have Churchill going nuts, can't sleep, is throwing up, is oppressed by guilt. Mm-hmm over this sort of thing, or at least these are the stories that kind of get repeated and repeated and repeated so that, so much that you don't really know what happened. Right. The point being, he made a hard decision. He had to make a hard decision. I think leaders often have to make hard decisions and it doesn't stop them from feeling for people or feeling what they feel. I think it enhances and gives integrity to the hard decisions that they have to make if they're making those decisions with wisdom and honesty and, and justice. I feel like where the distinction I was pulling up might come in handy is to say, especially in response to your brief devil's advocate thing, mm-hmm. Jesus understood the Pharisees would feel woe and grief when he judged them, and they were revealed to be hypocrites, uh, judged for their sins. But he wasn't like, oh, I feel the sorrow of the, fa-. you know, he felt the sorrow of his people. He felt the sorrow of those more in it, those who the Pharisees led to destruction. An easier one would be like, what about the psalmist when he talks about Babylon and dashing the children of Babylon against the rocks? Well, he's not empathizing with Babylon. So, it feels like there's something to this distinction, like, depends on whose feelings you're going to feel. Are you going to empathize with the guy you shoot when he comes to rob and rape in the middle of the night? I think I'm being simplistic as I talk, but I... Right. The idea that being empathetic means that empathy governs your judgments, that's the thing that I'm saying is garbage. Mm -hmm. And I agree with that. And... Jesus is always perfectly parsing and weighing everything. So when he's dealing with the Pharisees, does empathizing with where they, they're coming from, does that in any way trump the fact that there is a man here with a withered hand that they are callously saying, well, you shouldn't heal him because, he's, because it's, just, it's the Lord's day. He's weighing it all. His sympathies are always running towards the weak and the oppressed. And so he's, he, he's making judgments that are just and that are looking at the whole picture. And so, you know, in that case, in Mark, and he's angry with them. 
because they have no empathy and no sympathy for the man with the withered hand. I think however you define it, in the right context, Jesus actually does, I mean, it's not like he doesn't have a heart for Pharisees who show some repentance. Nicodemus is going to come and Jesus is going to talk with him. And what do they need to hear in order to repent? You, you, you can't. You brood of vipers. You, you can't. Vipers. You can't. You can't separate that. You can't reality. separate that. Right. You can't pretend like Jesus is just being callous towards the the Pharisees and empathetic towards those that they're oppressing. Oppressors need to need hard words in order to be shaken awake. Right? Like, why yeah. would Jesus bother pronouncing woes on them? Well, you could say, well, for the, well, sake, of for the, the sake of the people that right. are there listening. That's right. Which Absolutely. is also true. And you could also say, because he needs to rile them up so they'll kill him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you, could, you could make that argument. So that God's will would be done, Jake. Yeah, I mean. That would be the you, jerk uh, devil's you, you advocate. You can and people that could, do. That would yeah. be the jerk devil's advocate. People yeah. do. But also, it, it so happens in God's economy that that's also the most loving and compassionate thing for them to hear. That's right. I mean, he's he has to be a righteous witness, which means declaiming against the evil things they're doing. He has to love people, which means declaiming against the things they're doing. And his righteousness is what's going to lead to his death at their hands. So right. it all fits together in God's plan. I think I think one thing I'm reacting though, reacting to though, is that in our culture, being empathetic doesn't it mean not being harsh, you know, in the judgment of our culture and a lot of our Christian culture, not talking as Jesus does. Because people's idea of empathy is like well, an empathetic person wouldn't talk to Pharisees like you brood of vipers. Well, the whole reason we're talking about this is Joe Biden is a very empathetic man. I mean, he that's, has two dogs. Yeah, this is where it started because he has yeah, two dogs. Well, and because he <laughs> he wants to hike the minimum wage because people out there are starving and he, Joe Biden feels it. And President oh, Trump goodness. never did. I mean, that's 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 what these articles would say. The evil Republican jerks and bigots and white supremacists, <laughs> they don't feel sorry for the little guy. Joe Biden does. So it's the age of empathy now. 2021 began four years of empathy. Mm. Hopefully eight. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. So, so, so he's empathetic because he's going to you know, raise the minimum wage because he has these dogs. Why else? What else are they saying? Can we just talk about raising the minimum wage? <laughs> sure. You know, it, they announced a study says, you know, it'll pull one million people out of poverty. And the same study said, also, it will cost 1.3 million jobs. Right. <laughs> And, and, and the reality is all of the most powerful oligarchs, the tech oligarchs, the big companies, Jeff Bezos, Tim Cook, they have made bank during this pandemic. Net worth is shot up for all of the people at the top of the heap by the trillions. $15 an hour puts small businesses out of work. Meanwhile, Walmart's announcing that they're replacing people with robots in their distribution centers to make things more efficient well, and, and cost-effective. And a Walmart I was in said, we're going to do away with all the cashiers and have all automatic checkouts. Well, yeah, because Walmart can afford to do that. Yeah. And mom and pop's bakery, though, they have to pay $15 an hour, which is the, above the average, you know, in, in certain places, they're, they're not going to, they're just not going to toast. Yeah, they're toast. Oh, now we have to charge 30 bucks for a pizza at our mom and pop pizza place like nobody's Sorry, gonna order for Papa pizza John's, man yeah i'm not ordering from mom and papa's pizza place i'm ordering for papa john's if it's the difference between 30 bucks and five bucks because they have an automated system and they were able to survive this i mean it's the empathy mm. that causes us to biden to uh cancel what is it the xl pipeline, pipeline thing good. what how many millions well, of job people out of a job yeah so so what we're really talking about is prizing the appearance of empathy well i just keep thinking of 
the parent who won't spank their kid. That parent supposedly has more empathy, I guess, because they just give them another candy bar when they want one. It's like, the kid's going to be fat and unhappy. You, You were able to be compassionate, I guess, in a certain sense with the fact that in the very short, immediate term, they would be sad for a minute. But did your compassion extend beyond that? And was it therefore, in any sense of the word, compassion? Yeah. Was it empathy? Were you actually feeling what they were going to feel as a 34-year-old who hadn't been disciplined, who had to learn self-discipline without having the leg up of having some structure and some discipline in their life? I mean, that's the empathy of Joe Biden is let's give some people what they want and let's make a big show of in our compassion. In a way compassion. that makes me look good. In a way that not only makes me look good, but accrues to me personally. It's entirely selfish. It's not just in the case of, of Biden and the people at the top here, it's not just that it makes them look good. It's that it actually puts more money in their pockets. It's that same selfishness as a parent where I, I don't have the hassle of disciplining you. I get to look good. I get to tell people I don't spank. You have never been spanked. I get to tell you, I've never raised a hand to you in, in your life. You know, I get to hold that over you and guilt you. And for the moment, you like me. And for the moment, you like me. And, you know, I just keep getting the peace that I want now. Until age three, maybe. Well, yeah. They're, 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 <laughs> There's then, always a reckoning coming at some point down the right. line. And it comes and sometimes it snowballs. And with kids, it can snowball early. But one way or another, it comes. Yeah. You know, and you see this all the time too, especially in cases of divorce where the non-custodial parent, the custodial parent fills the responsibility of disciplinarian and then the non-custodial parent becomes cool uncle or cool aunt and is using things, you know, and it can work both ways, but often it's the case that the custodial parent is the more responsible one. That's why they got custody or they just feel the responsibility because they have custody. And so then what happens is I don't have responsibility and so I don't take responsibility and I get to buy you off and try to pit you against that other parent. That always has a reckoning too that comes down the line. This is just the way that we we work. Yeah, and so I think to tie it back to the subject of empathy specifically, you know, if we're going to take it to the mundane level of parenting, you can be like, oh, yeah, I know it hurts to mm-hmm. get spanked and I, I feel it. I'm right. sorry about it. But but then I think there is a sense in which in the moment you are stealing yourself. You know, you are saying, I'm gonna feel a little bit less That's right. of what I might be tempted to feel right. about this spanking right now. Cause I just need to get this yep. job done. And that's where it gets maybe a little tricky because you don't want to be you don't want to be callous. You also you don't want to be wooden. There's there's so many different directions to go wrong in. I mean, if we stick with the spanking example, we all know the parents who are just almost sadistically gleeful or gung-ho or, yes, we spank and it's time for another spanking and isn't it wonderful and I don't feel a thing. In fact, I enjoy it because I'm obeying God when I, you know, I think we've, I think we've all met that person and. Yeah, I I think, I think empathy is supposed to be a a tool. I think that's where some of the, my reason for having this distinction, possible distinction in my head is I, I, (laughs) I listened to an interview on a different podcast about some folks who work with terrorists mm-hmm. who do terrorist interrogation. And they were talking about how empathy, the way they use it, is a, like it's a cold virtue. Mm-hmm. Because what they're doing is they're asking terrorist questions in ways that communicate, listen, I hear your story. I understand it. I'm entering inside your world, so to speak, in a sense. 
But that doesn't mean I have warm feelings towards you. You're a terrorist. It doesn't mean we're not going to execute you. You're a terrorist. It means like I know how to talk to you in a way that is effective. Yeah, but the, and that's different than actually caring. Right. Which brings us back to Joe Biden. Right. <laughs> what he's doing is not actually caring. Do you think that Joe Biden actually does care as much as the mother who doesn't want to spank because she's just wrapped up in the fact that her child feels pain? Oh, certainly could be. Do you think, do you think that? No. Do you think he's just a cynical? He's cynical been politician. in politics. Career politician. He's been in politics for 50 years and he's lied himself in and out of corners and flip-flopped his positions and true he's learned how to posture himself and he's adopted a posture that allows him to come across as grandpa joe Mm -hmm. who's tender and compassionate and he's played those cards his whole career i just don't believe for a second that he's mr compassion and and if he were mr compassion let's take a second and start with uh, the most vulnerable among us Hmm. you can't be that bloodthirsty yeah. Two seconds can't. before you're out of the womb or after you've, you're out of the womb, we will cut you up and kill you. Yeah. And that's, with baby, that's babies. Yeah. Forget it. There's no compassion in that man. No. He, no, no. I'm sure that he loves his dogs and is sure that Hunter and his kids protects them from investigation. But, but Jake, if outside stepped, of that. If he stepped on his dog's paw he'd probably almost cry because he would feel the pain that the dog felt in that moment and be so sorry that, you know what I mean? Well, one one way that I think people deal cathartically with the guilt that they feel over things like abortion is by making a big show, not even for other people, but just for themselves, making a big show of their compassion in other places. Jake and I Absolutely. have talked about this before on the bookening. I think we were trying to, my new favorite word, litigate a Christmas Carol and Tiny Tim and the awful maudlin. <laughs> that is your new favorite word. <laughs> that is my new favorite word. We're trying to. I litig- almost made fun of you at the start of this when you're like, "I don't want to litigate this. I want to litigate that." No, no, <laughs> yeah, no. I love to litigate, guys. You know me, Mister <laughs> Litigation. <laughs> trying to litigate old uh, Tiny Tim and how obnoxious. And then, and if people have seen movies and maybe they like Tiny Tim in the book, he's a hundred times more sentimental. It's like an angel was among us and it's like yeah. it's, it's it's borderline blasphemous the way it, tiny tim is just like this this christ-like figure it's pretty obnoxious so <laughs> anyway this is dickens yeah yeah plus it's dickens uh <laughs> jake's favorite author we were trying to figure out we we're trying to litigate why victorians are so sentimental about women and then especially so you know like mina harker and lucy and dracula it's so shallow and sentimental mm-hmm. the way the women characters and then especially with children like tiny tim there's halos around them and we we're trying to figure that out and where we got was oh yeah that culture was brutal to children like they were being exploited in these workhouses mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and this was a this was a nasty culture for children and so of course and of course everybody's going to make a big show of mm-hmm. their compassion including Karl Marx, for that matter. Yeah. Looking at the same workhouse conditions and being spurred on all the more to write his uh, masterpiece. While his own wife and children starved. Well, Yes. The most uh, popular fictional character of the last two years is right behind you, Mm -hmm. hanging on the wall. Baby Yoda. Popular enough to be hanging on the wall in our studio, folks. We love Baby Yoda. Grogu, we should should say. Why is that? You know, I, I think it's all connected. And it's... 
you know, some of it is just the universal. Kids are cute and lovable. Some of it also is just maybe we feel bad. No, I mean, especially if your audience is man children and the women children that they marry. And these are the people that don't, I mean, no offense. I like Star Wars. We do podcasts on Star Wars. We don't have to be a man child to watch Star Wars, blah, blah, blah. But if your primary audience is actual children and man children and women children who are afraid to have babies and who are willing to pay to kill their babies, throw a cute baby in there. It's pretty cathartic. Mm -hmm. You can't find a woman who doesn't love baby Yoda. I mean, it is the master stroke of that show. Like that show appeals to everybody because baby Yoda is always going to do something cute. Did you hate Star Wars? Do you think you hate Star Wars? There are husbands around the world that are like, yo, finally, I can get my wife to watch Star Wars with me. I just need to get her to see Baby Yoda be cute for half a second. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now she's entered into a larger world. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Taking her first steps. So why were we talking about Baby Yoda? Oh, Joe Bi- I asked if Joe Biden was actually compassionate or if he just made a... Right. A show of compassion. I mean, I, I don't have any doubt if you want to do the man credit that he does feel sad. Like feelings of sadness do well up in him when he steps on his dog's paw. But does that mean that he's anything less than the cynical monster that Jake was portraying? I don't think so. I think cynical monsters can feel bad when they step on their dog's paw. And that's Absolutely. actually not just a anomaly, but it's actually part of their, their monstrosity. Yeah. It's, I mean, they're still human. Yeah. And so they've got to do something with that, mm-hmm. with those impulses or channel, channel them in a direction. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's my next question. When I'm talking to Ben, let's say, and he has a sin and I don't want to tell him about it. Is that messed up empathy? It, it may be messed up empathy. I mean, that may well play into it along with your own bad conscience and your own sin in sinful lack of love and compassion driving you to actually address and deal with the issue. And I mean, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so I can take seeing somebody caught in a sin that makes me blush and would make me blush to be exposed in and think, oh, just let him off the hook. Mm -hmm. It's too much pain. Right. For anyone to to endure and and sometimes those impulses actually can be right, but oftentimes it's just us not wanting to deal with things. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true. I also think for my part at least, there's pro I just I suspect there's a lot of things that I call empathy or that I would be willing to own even as messed up empathy that actually just come down to pride. I'm more willing for Ben to suffer, let's say in this case, than I might be willing to admit it's not Ben suffering that I feel bad about. It's just, I want Ben to like me. And I, so I don't want to tell him about his sin. So pride, fear of man, pride, Those fear, can disguise themselves as a, 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 a morally superior empathy or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's nice to think, Oh, I wouldn't like to cause this person pain. So it's uh, very ennobling. Except when it really suits me and I forget that I care about that. <laughs> Yeah, it turns out I cause Ben pain on a daily basis. <laughs> that's that's the tip-off, I think. Yeah, that takes yeah. us back to President Biden. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that is the thing about President Biden when they say he's a man of empathy. Like, he's causing all kinds of people 
pain. He's causing us pain. He's causing the little babies pain. He's causing the oil pipeline people pain. There's a very narrow select group of powerful people that he seems scared to death to cause any pain to. Again, just to bring it back to the simplest way to prove this, every mom or dad who snaps when a kid's being annoying or comes home after a hard day at work and is walking around the house causing pain at every step because he's inconvenienced Mm -hmm. or annoyed, needs to check himself before he doesn't want to inflict the good pain of discipline. Yeah. Jake, you've you've seen these kinds of dads. That must be why you're... Yeah, I've observed that. You've observed that. Oh, you weren't just... Okay, that's that's interesting. (laughs) But I thought Jake was just theorizing. He's like, there could be a person out there. No, I think he's actually seen it. Okay. I've observed that. People talk to me about, you know, their lives and you discern things about them. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. I've seen a lot of stuff like that about selfish husbands myself. I mean, I've heard stories. I I read novels, folks. Yeah. I just read some some Austin and then you you know that people can be that way. No, those are just your sci-fi stories though, right, Ben? The ones (laughs) that are are really out there. (laughs) Yeah. Sci-fi stories in maybe the lives of our listeners, but so that's... But not our lives, like... Well, I don't know how no. we how we could be helpful if we were entrenched in the same sins and blindnesses. So, well, we only speak to things that we don't struggle with because it would be hypocritical otherwise. Podcast about what you don't know. That exactly was that's right. like our, that's our motto. That's our dictum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I still don't think that we've answered this question cleanly enough. Is empathy something that God requires of us as we seek to love our fellow man? At, at that point, our preoccupation with this term, empathy, that's a relatively recent term, just mm-hmm. needs to be reframed in biblical terms, which is compassion. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Compassion is understanding the needs of others and moving towards them at the point of their suffering. Right. Understanding how people feel. It's relating to them. And feeling. And it, it is. It is a, a it feeling is a, component. Um, David and Jonathan wept. Paul, Jesus wept. Jesus <laughs> quite wept. Quite famously. Paul and the Ephesian elders. Right. All throughout scripture and mm-hmm. history, you see men weeping. It's not different than the the dude who's like tied up in knots about whether or not his obedience is coming from faith. Mm-hmm. He defines faith as a feeling, and then he gets tied up in, you know, do I feel like I'm having faith? Gets wrapped in knots. And what you have to tell him is, wait, wait, wait. Okay, obedience does have to come from the heart, but... Do you want to obey God? Is that the point? Is that why you're all bound up in knots? Is because you want to obey God and be pleasing mm. to him. Just do what he says. Yeah. Just do what he says because that's what faith that God is God. God's word is true. This is what he's commanded. I want to do what he's commanded. Therefore, I'm going to do what he's commanded. Right. Hey, it, it, it can be that simple. It doesn't have to be this like, did, did I mourn with the person who mourned? I don't know. Did you visit the hospital or not? Mm. As opposed to the person, you know, the bad version of this is the person who's so in tears, they feel so much that they can't visit the hospital or that they're useless. Or they just work themselves up into some kind of emotional frenzy and think that that is the end in and of itself. Or they go to the Mm -hmm. hospital and suddenly it's all about them and everybody has to comfort them instead of like the person in the hospital because they have so so much compassion and empathy. Or they don't go to the hospital because they they think, I don't feel what I ought to feel, which is also all about them. Yeah. So trying to liberate people towards just doing the thing, just obeying. And often when you do the thing, the feelings follow, you know, for, for especially for people that find feelings a difficult thing to navigate or even to feel. 
Like sometimes you just go and do the thing. You get in your car, you go to the hospital and you don't know what you're doing there except you know that you should love this person. You know, God uses it to change you. And you get you get in the car and you go down to, I, I don't feel compassion for the invisible unborn children that are being slaughtered. You get in the car, you go down and you think, I'm just going to stand here and pray. Mm-hmm. And you see women going in and you know that there's a baby in there. It hits one way or another. God uses it. And God commands us to feel certain things all the time. But Well, maybe here's a good question for you, Jake. Is there a time when, so, so let's, let's uh, going back to our parenting thing, uh, you, you need to spank your kid. They're, they're being bad. They deserve spanking. But you feel bad. You feel compassion. Is it time for you to shut those feelings off? Or you're in a pastoral situation. Somebody's sinning. You know that it's going to devastate them, what you have to say, but you need to say it anyway. You know, in both cases, you know exactly what the right thing, you know, there's no question what the right thing to do is in these, in these hypothetical situations. But you're really scared, and some of it is because of the feels. Is it time to just steal yourself in your face feelings? If that's what it takes to do the right thing, then sure, err in that direction. Forget feelings. You got to do the right thing because that's what love demands. You're going to be sinning on all sides, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be sinning and it's going to be hard and whatever, at least do the right thing. Right. <laughs> At least do what it takes to do the right thing. Right. <laughs> fall forward if you're going to fall. Right. If the only option you see is falling, fall forward. <laughs> but even better, take a step forward. Yeah, but e- yeah, even better is take a step forward. And I don't think it has to be mutually exclusive. Well, and also right? I, th- like I think you just don't. as you yeah. get older and wiser, hopefully, and as God matures you and sanctifies you, you have some of those falls and you realize, oh, that didn't hurt so bad. And then you begin to chill out and you're able to actually spank compassionately, rebuke with love and not freak out, not so freak, much. not, not, not feel so tense and. Well, and preach to yourself because what you have to tell yourself in that moment is that this is what real compassion and real love demands. It's the difference between the preacher that gets up because he said a passage like, I do not permit a woman to teach or the list of people who won't inter- inherit the kingdom of God for such were some of you. And he stands up. Uh, one preacher feels f- all of the pain or thinks he feels or thinks he has to make a show of feeling all of the pain of the poor suffering homosexual sitting there. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I, you know, if it were me, but it's not, it's God. And, you know, it's just what, you know, but, I, ha- but, but, I have but, but, to wait, do what God that's says. That's not an exaggeration. And, I think we've, I've, I know I've been in, a, in sermons where people have said, it's not me. It's not how I like people actually use those words. Yeah. They, and then they, what they end up doing is they end up posturing themselves as more compassionate than God. Right. And it's like, no, no. How blasphemous, how wicked and weak. You're not more compassionate than God. This is what God says is the remedy for sinners. Love them enough to say it the way God says it. Okay. So you're so weak that you, and so afraid. I, I think this really is what we're talking about. You're so weak and so timid and so afraid and so desiring of the praise of men that you're going to set yourself up in opposition to God in order to have the guts to say what God says. Here's an idea. Maybe just believe what God says is true, that God is more compassionate than you, that God knows love better than you because he is love, and just obey him and conform your heart to that reality. 
And when you do, you begin to understand why God says what he does, why he says it the way he does, and what, like, yeah. I mean, do you really think that people struggling with homosexual sin don't feel guilt Mm -hmm. and shame over their sin, don't know that they're in opposition to God? Like, they know. They know. They feel it all the time. That's why drugs are so rampant in the homosexual community is because they're trying to numb themselves to the reality of the degradation that they live in, the squalor, the sin, the rebellion that they live in. And it's why they can't stand to hear you say anything because their conscience is so raw. And so well, the funny- here, here's the thing. When, when you want to minister to homosexuals, and you try to turn around and soft pedal and accommodate their sin, they're going to despise you. That's, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. It's, it's a little they bit. Of a, always they always do. They don't like that. I mean, it is actually the same as the kid who gets a spanking and then gets like a super spiritual kind of apology. You know, you know, Billy, I had to do that. But it hurts me more than it hurts it's you. It's like, just <laughs> shut up and spank me, well, please. Like, I don't. Bear love me, the, me enough to just they, do the thing. And, and, right? then, and then let's like move on. Like, let's yeah. spare, spare me they the speech, And the Dad. thing is like, you know, when you minister in a community like Bloomington, where we're coming from, not there anymore, but there. Man, the number of people in our church up there who have come out of homosexuality, it's not because somebody stood up there and cried and empathized, as, and we, empathized, would say. as we would say, or as we've been saying, and as we, we, it's been used in this podcast, it's because somebody had the guts to say, hey, stop sinning against God in yourself. Right. And that may not be empathy, but it is compassion. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, they know. They just need to hear it. How many times have you been in a sin against your conscience and you know it and you're just too weak and then somebody comes up to you and just says to your face the thing that you know. And what a cold drink of water in the middle of the like, desert. Yeah, what, what relief. so relieving. Yeah. yeah, I can give up the charade. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's gonna be okay. And what a relief. What a relief to just be free to acknowledge and to stop lying to myself and to everyone else about the reality that God is God and God is right and condemning what I've been doing and all the ways I've been fighting against him. I need to stop. So that's one bad way of failing forward that's really failing backwards probably in most of the examples. <laughs> well, but it, but it highlights the false tension mm-hmm. that I think people think they feel over this sort of thing where what you actually have to do is just get over false compassion. So that's so. Those are people who are weak. So we're we're talking about people who are weak and therefore kind of sell out the thing okay. that they're doing. But so, so so I mean, there's both sides of this. So you said, is there space to just say shut off your feelings and harden yourself mm-hmm. and and do the thing? Well, again, the flip side of the guy who stands up and apologizes for God's truth, but he's just got it. He's duty bound to say it. You sorry, know, it's, sorry, it's, everybody. It's too bad. It's unfortunate. Is the guy who does harden himself and just he refuses he's not loving anybody he's loving him only himself and operating only for the sake of his own conscience and he gets up and he's just callously boldly woodenly this is what god says and he rails or whatever but it's about his own personal catharsis because he doesn't want to have to feel anything about what god says and he doesn't want to have to care about any real people he just wants to say the thing that's in front of him those are the extremes, right? But people do that. You, you, you can hear that in the pulpit. You can also see it down at the abortion clinic. If you ever go down, protest or pray, there's always going to be that guy. Maybe not always, but often there'll be that guy who's just there, uh, guilt, rage, railing. Screaming about hell and judgment and all this sort of thing. Yeah. And you, you can preach 
and you can preach about hell and judgment out of compassion, or you can do it because you've hardened yourself and you want to have a good conscience and mm-hmm. no blood on your hands. And you've got your little formula sheet that you're working or whatever that's all about you. Now, whenever we try to love people, we are going to fail in either one of those directions and sometimes both in the same, often both in the same conversation. But we should be aiming at that, at the excluded middle of just loving people and loving people enough to to tell them hard things. Yeah, and doing the best we can. Because either of those things, either the, the hardening or the softening, it's just, you, you just excuse yourself from the responsibility of actually loving the person. When it comes to feeling, so much of it comes down to simple proportionality, too. Yeah, I can understand it hurts when my kid gets a spanking, but also I understand it's not the end of the world, and they're right. going to be, like, playing yeah. in two minutes. And, and there are worse things. And like, there, are, there are worse things. Like continuing down a destructive path. So it's not just ordering your emotions, making sure you feel the right things. It's also making sure you feel the right amount of the right things. Right. It's disciplining your emotions so that they are actually in proportion to their object, which is pretty complicated. Yeah. I mean, like I was saying, a spanking in the grand scheme of things hurts a little bit for a short time. So I will feel a little bit bad for the kid as I weigh the necessity of discipline against my natural sympathy for his pain. You know, that's that's what would make sense. But the problem, of course, is that none of us do feel exactly in proportion to the precise nature of reality. We bring all kinds of things to our feelings. Objectively speaking, again, this making might hurt little Billy for a very short period of time, and he might not mind that much, grand scheme of things. But... Right. My daddy was harsh with me, or I've listened to a lot of lies that society tells, or whatever. So many different things go into making us, and so many different things go into our feelings of empathy and make them inaccurate, make them not a fair representation of how little Billy feels. I think I'm feeling little Billy's feelings, but I'm actually feeling my own feelings, which have very little to do with how little Billy feels. A disclaimer, there actually isn't a little Billy in my life, although little Theo's on her way, so all the spankings that I have to give are basically in the future. But I have had to give a lot of rebukes, and I think for all sorts of reasons, I tend to assume the person is uh, much more hurt than they actually are. My sins, my own damaged psyche, my weaknesses, my past, my present, my future, these go into everything, and, and, and they make me a poor judge of what the person is feeling in some ways. They, for, in my case, you know, for some people, they might make them a poor judge, like they don't realize enough how someone's feeling. But in my case, I heighten it. I assume the person is feeling more than they actually are. So proportionality. Uh, now, we could spend a whole other podcast talking about this. You know, the question is, how do I modulate my feelings so that they accurately reflect reality? And, and the TLDR answer to that is, that's the work of a lifetime right? Yeah. That's the work of prayer. That's the work of reading your Bible. That's the work of going to church and being with the people of God and keying off of them. It's caught, not taught. You have to watch other people, see how they react to things. Oh, well, this is the amount of gravitas that dad brings to disciplining his son. I've I've now seen this. This this is how a mom handles disciplining her daughter. This is how you handle this kind of rebuke. This is about how you feel when you have to do this kind of thing. These are things that we have to observe and that we have to soak in. 
All right, guys. Is there anything else that you want to say about no empathy? I don't think so. I, I can imagine somebody listening saying, well, guys, you sure did a good job of talking out of both sides of your mouth the entire episode. L- just to be very clear, what are the, what's the one thing that we said and what's the other thing we said and how do we put those together? Thing A is don't worry too much about your feelings. Just worry about being obedient. And thing B is? Feel all the things in the right way, but you're going to screw up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right. Well, the the solution to that is that feeling the right thing is part of being obedient, but you can't let your feelings determine whether or not you'll try to speak at the time you have to or try to do what you have to do. You, it's just hard. I mean, if you want a formula, yeah. I think it's do A so that you can strive towards B. Yeah. Is that yeah. good? You yeah, know, that's like, good. Go do the right thing, obey, and your feelings will follow, but also work on your feelings and also just chillax a little bit. Yeah. Part of it's hierarchy. Like, you can't let your feelings lead you. Mm-hmm. You can harness them if they're going in the right direction. This mm-hmm. is my favorite feeling, personal feeling metaphor, but like you're in a chariot or something and feelings are horses. <laughs> but anyway, you harness your feelings if they're useful. Like, and you should always do that. And you should want your feelings to be useful to you. Like you should want to feel joy when you're there at Sunday morning. But a lot of Sunday mornings, I don't feel much joy. And just singing as loud as I can, being like, I'm going to look like an idiot, but I'm not going to care, will lead to more joy. Mm-hmm. So on, uh, so in, in that sense, it both really matters what you feel. And it really doesn't. Both at the same time, but in a different sense. Yeah. And you're going to have Sundays where you're off and you're going to have Sundays where you feel in a little bit more and that's okay. But also, if you never feel anything, you might want to check yourself (laughs) before you wreck yourself. Uh, Right. Like like the guy in the chariot. Right. (laughs) If your horses are just lying dead in a ditch, there's a problem. (laughs) If they won't stop when you pull on the reins. (laughs) You know, sometimes the horses are a little more tired than other days. Whatever. All right. Well, if this podcast was a chariot drawn by... The horses of good conversation. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Those horses are pulling us across the finish line to the credits where we say that this podcast was produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me, associate produced by Mr. Benjamin Solzer, the one and only. Go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity for more little sanity bite discussions and videos and to give us some money to continue making this program. Until next time, folks. Stay sane.